I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm going to toss it over to our hosts, Micah and Josiah Keneally. What's up, guys? Hope you're feeling alive right now. I'm Micah Keneally, and I want to welcome you to the Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about young adults and reaching them in our world today. And like so always, I'm joined with my husband and co-host Josiah. Josiah, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. I'm feeling alive, doing wonderful. It's always fun to team up and collaborate together on this podcast it project. It surely is. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm having iced coffee here and we have an amazing guest no that kidding. we are maybe just say we I've met for the first time today. So we can't wait to lean in and pick his brain about what God's doing, what he's seen. And Josiah, who is the special guest or how can our listeners get involved? Maybe I should start there. Let's do this. I'll introduce our guest in just a second, but I just want to greet him. Pastor Mark Clark from Canada is joining us today. How are you, Mark? Uh, I'm doing well, sir. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thanks for having me on this. Always fun to talk about young adult stuff. Yes, you bet. Well, we're glad that you said yes to the invitation to spend time with us today. And if you're new or newer and listening in your car or in your workout or in your office, wherever you're at, we just want to say thank you for mm-hmm. checking this conversation out. We drop a new episode each and every Monday morning. If you go back through the archive, there are close to a hundred episodes of the Young Adults Today podcast. Like Micah said, it's all about reaching the next Mm -hmm. generation in our world today. We've been going for just over two years strong, having a lot of fun, a lot of conversations about life and specifically leadership of young adult ministry. And if you'd subscribe, rate, and review, that will help us reach more listeners with the message of young adults today. And also feel free to, while you're listening, Text the link out, share the link. We, If you tag us on social media at Young Adults Today, we'd be happy to participate in the conversation and share it with our following as well. But mm-hmm. back to our guest, Mark Clark is the founding pastor of the Village Church, a multi-site church with locations actually in multiple cities across Canada and online, check this out, around the world, so globally. And he, Really, his vision is to seek and to reach skeptics and also to challenge Christians. So good. That's really incredible. He's the author of two books. One was in 2017, 2018, The Problem of God. He won the 2018 Award for Evangelism. And also, he just released, at the time we were dropping this, The Problem of Jesus. And so once again, Mark, welcome to the conversation on Young Adults Today podcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. You bet. Would you just be willing to kick off the conversation today, share with us maybe your story of life, family, leadership, and ministry? Okay, well, that'll take up a good hour and a half. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, guys. Yeah, I I grew up uh, in Toronto, um, uh, just outside of Toronto. And uh, born and raised kind of in this, this non-Christian environment. So no, no prayer, no Bible, no church, wow. no nothing, kind of a, a skeptical environment. My, my dad was kind of a, a pretty ardent atheist. And uh, so, yeah, so not just like neutral, but kind of counter Christianity, anti um, a little bit. Uh, di- didn't want to spell my brother's name with two T's his name's Matthew because it would be spelt like the Bible. So he spelt it with one T. Wow. So on my brother's driver's license, seriously, his name's Matthew with one T, but then four years later, they had me and named me Mark. So clearly this guy had never read his Bible before. Uh, and so, um, yeah, that was kind of the, the environment I grew up in. So, um, anyway, they, uh, 
I, I started, uh, I met Jesus in high school and started exploring him from an evidential philosophy, history, science kind of thinking and going, okay, I'm only going to believe in this if it's legitimate, not in regard to just feeling something, but thinking and realize that Christianity is the best idea in the marketplace of ideas. I gave my life to Jesus. Uh, he lit me on fire and I started going from there. And then I was going to go into the, you know, the, the film world. I, I'm more of kind of a, almost an artistic thinker than, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, an academic. And so I started going down that road and then I got super excited about the academic version in, in, of, of the world and started exploring the new Testament specifically in college. And then people said, well, you should go and become a professor. So my wife and I got married. We moved out from Toronto to Vancouver to do a two years master's thesis out here. I wrote a master's thesis in Romans nine to 11. And my intent was to go overseas to the UK and do a PhD. And while I was here, God was like, Hey, I want you to plant a church. And I was like, well, there's no Christians in Vancouver. So what, why would we do that? And, uh, and so he's like, well, that's what you can do. So 16 people started this church in my house and we just started going after, you know, people who either thought they knew Jesus, but didn't de-churched unchurched people preaching verse by verse through the Bible, but always through a skeptical lens so that people's neighbors and family and friends who've never met Jesus could come. And uh, the church just started to kind of grow. And people met Jesus, got their life transformed and changed. And so we, anyway, we just started kind of planting churches and campuses across Canada. And now we're in, uh, we have five or six sites in, um, in Vancouver. We have a site in Calgary, Winnipeg, and Toronto. So we're just trying to oh kind of hit as many cities as we can with the 15 minutes that we have on this planet to try to reach people for Jesus. So that's what we're about. No doubt. That's amazing. I would just say that I love how it started as like a house church, 16 people gathering around to really understand what God was maybe calling you to next, that you had no clue that you would be here today. (laughs) It's very true. It's very true. That is so fun. And Pastor Mark, obviously we're in Minnesota, you're in Canada. And would you be willing just to start by sharing some trends maybe that you are seeing among college students and young adults Um, in your church and in Canada and maybe primarily hit with like the millennials and the Gen Z. Are you seeing anything specific that you can share with us today? Well, you know, I, I, in Canada, we're, we're probably a generation ahead of you guys in regard to post-Christian secularization, you know, so uh, oftentimes I, I, when I'm, you know, speaking to American audiences, it's kind of like, you know, I'm coming to you from the future. In a sense, it's like I'm here right now and I'm, and, and I'm seeing certain trends that are going on and be hopeful. You know, people still meet Jesus in this environment. It's just uh, it looks and feels different than it would in that environment. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, we're seeing, you know, a couple of years ago, well, probably five years ago now we did, you know, you read a lot of the young adult literature and a lot of it's, you know, well, we live in a postmodern version of things. And so nobody cares about any of the kind of classic apologetic questions anymore, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and then we did a series as a church uh, answering those big kind of, you know, big apologetic questions, science and faith and, you know, hell and sex and hypocrisy and exclusivity, and these kind of big, big things. Um Incredible. And our church grew by 900 people in a week. Stop. You're <laughs> kidding me. Yeah. So oh my gosh. 
Yeah. So it's like people can say these people don't care about these questions, but they do. Um, and so this, these, these are still important questions to ask and answer. And so when it comes to Jesus, it's like the historical, you know, so what I talk about in the book is like the historical Jesus, the gospels, we got to get some of that stuff out of the way before we just jump to, oh, and here's what Jesus wants for your life. It's like people in this culture don't even believe he existed. So I spend the first chapter proving that. <laughs> and then what was he actually about? And then I don't even trust the, the books that explain his life, the Gospels. So you got to defend that stuff. And so what, what I'm seeing trend wise is like you have a whole generation of people who are who are questioning the assumptions of the past generation saying, you got to prove this all over to me again. Uh, and so we need to kind of do the work and make sure we can actually explain, look, we're not just, you know, spitting nonsense here. This is historical stuff when Jesus is throwing demons into pigs and whatever, like, are these just made up fairy tales? What are we talking about? Why, why do, why do historians and archeologists actually look to this stuff and go, no, this stuff actually happened. This stuff legitimately happened. You know, I open the book with this uh, story about demons in my, in my closet and, uh, and meeting a guy who knew they were there, even though I was, I was in Toronto and I live in Vancouver and I took a flight to, to Toronto and sat with a guy at a coffee shop and he looked at me and out of nowhere started talking about this experience that I was having privately at home. And he knew the whole situation. He knew the layout of the house and he started telling me what was happening from a spiritual vantage point and where they were and how to deal with them. Even though I never even told him any, I, I, I didn't even know. I, I'd never met the guy before. So it's like this, this spiritual reality uh, and question among young adults is actually huge too, because they, they kind of believe in the spiritual, you know, they believe in kind of whether that's new agey or whether it's whatever, the question of the spiritual isn't so much, they're, they're open to that maybe even more so than the generation before our right. generation. Um they're not even even naturalism in its classic form now has been kind of rethought from a spiritual vantage point where people recognize that you know the the mind just isn't the mind it's not meat on a stick there's 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 like consciousness and transcendence and beauty and you know these other things about us that are like hard to explain from a naturalistic vantage point so i find this generation is open to the spiritual question it's just how you actually fill that question, which with, with Christological Christ centered content and worship and heart that actually matters versus leaving people vaguely spiritual. It's not good enough to just go, well, I believe in God. It's like, well, yeah, great. Everybody right. believes right. in God and they just kind of do that in their own image. It's the question of who is Jesus? How does he exegete God to the world? You know, John chapter one. How does he enter into all of our worldviews and break them apart and restructure? So, so I'm see, seeing, you know, a church that can, or a people, more importantly, that can answer the question of the spiritual with Jesus mm -hmm. and the Holy Spirit is super important. Um, and then you have the deconstruction and the deconversion and all of that going on, of course. And, you know, I, I think the problem of Jesus, the book is, is kind of, it's coming at interesting time. I was just talking to someone about this. They were asking me about this on a, a radio show. Um, 
it's coming an interesting time because the premise is um, kind of don't, don't look to like the church and its fumblings and its awful version of Christianity to make a decision about the truth of Christianity. You got to clear all of that off the table and look at Jesus. Yeah. Who was he? What was he saying? What was he doing versus, Oh, look, my church is, you know, full of jerks or, Oh, it's full of hypocrites or it's like, yes, I get it. But you know, something's true, whether I'm stumbling along the pathway or not, you know? Um, And so, you know, evaluating the truth of Christianity on people who are burning witches 500 years ago probably isn't the best version of, you know, whether something's true or not. Mark, that's so good. By the way, we're sitting with Mark Clark on the Young Adults Today podcast, having a conversation. And we are, by the way, about to do a deep dive into his newest book, Mm -hmm. The Problem of Jesus. And before we do, I just want to make a statement and follow that up with a question. And the statement is just in my devotions this past couple of weeks, I was in Judges. And I feel like what he just summarized in the state of trends in what he's seeing millennials in generation Mm -hmm. Z in Canada, we're seeing this happen, by the way, on college campuses, in young adult ministry here in the US and across the globe. Judges 2.10 says that after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, meaning they died, another generation who grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And I feel like that's really a significant moment in the history of not only the people of God of Israel, but Mm -hmm. also our world today, the people who knew the stories of scripture, who knew they were familiar with the Bible. They believed it was credible. They thought it was reliable, authoritative, or even just they were familiar with the stories. They knew things that happened in scripture, the names like you had talked about with your family. I think that we're in this moment in time where really the generation is asking who is Jesus, Mm -hmm. who is God. And we just want to kick it off and go one step deeper, diving into the problem of Jesus. We live in America and a lot of our listeners, maybe are leading ministries on the college campus, in churches, in local churches, Mm -hmm. and really, uh, are facing skepticism. And by the way, I think this episode is perfect. If you're doubting Jesus yourself, if you have a friend, a family member, maybe somebody you're leading in ministry that wants to have Mm -hmm. conversations and they have genuine um, questions about faith, I think you should share this with them. I think they'll find a lot of value, but Mark, I want to ask you about where did we get this Americanized version of Jesus? Can you go there for a minute? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a Canadian, so I don't want to offend people. You, hey, you won't offend us. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. One of the, one of the, uh, one of the chapters is called the problem of discipleship. And the thing about discipleship is, you know, you got to prioritize certain things in life and recognize that there's a version of Christianity that is like, hey, are you going to actually follow Jesus? Meaning with your money life, your sex life, your family, your work, life, whatever, versus just, hey, I, 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 I basically believe some stuff about Jesus uh, that's different than my neighbor, but everything about my life is the same. 
So I watch the same amount of Netflix. I I spend money the same. My life is everything's the same, but I have different doctrine. Yeah. Meaning I'm fighting for the American dream, but I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm basically a Christianized version of what I already am and what I'm determined to remain. I'm a Christianized version of the culture that surrounds me um, that just believes some different doctrine than the people around me. But I'm basically the same. So, so when you have that popularized version of Christianity, people settle in to a version of it where my priorities are basically the same as everybody around me. It's have a nice family, have a good house with a couple garages, a couple cars, picket fence, American dream, beauty. And, and then it gets fused with Christianity. And then you have something that nobody's willing to die for. Wow. Right, right. Wow. You have something that nobody's nobody recognizes the counter. You know, one of the greatest acts of of discipleship we can do in the modern era, one writer has said, is the act of self-disobedience. It's like we have particular proclivities natural to our heart that go toward our passions and desires that Christianity is actually saying the only way to live this out is to be disobedient to what you feel is the right thing to do in a given moment. Wow. That doesn't square well with American life. American life is about happiness and contentment and individualized joy. (laughs) That's not convenient for me. (laughs) Right. So like, if you look at like the, the COVID stuff, right? Like there's a version of it where it's like, so many Christians are obviously like, Hey, let's get back to normal and yada, yada. And obviously we all want that, but there's a piece of it. That's like, sometimes I, I, I think people are citing their, their civil liberties when really what this is about is their comfort. And so that's a different thing. Right. So I get it. It's like, yes, we're free. Canada and America are kind of, you know, different. Like Canada is 37 million people. Yeah. Stretched across the greatest, the largest landmass in the world, lined up on the border of America, basically. And so what you have is a bit more of a collectivist mindset to the whole people group. Right. And so that's why, like, Healthcare is like we yeah. you know, we all get it right. Somebody has a baby, they walk out of the thing. You got you got a heart you got a heart disease, a brain brain surgery. You walk out like you never think of it again. You just move on with life. Where it's like, hey, here's a bill. It's like what? I need a bill. I don't want the surgery. You know, whatever. So it's like there's different. So you have this collective so mind. <laughs> you have this collective mindset about the people that are is a little more um, collectivist in his thinking now. There's bad versions of it too. Um, but the point is, is that like in Canada, you know, it's like, hey, go in your houses, it's COVID. And we're just all waiting for the government to tell us to leave where you guys are like, screw the government. I'm, you know, I got my rights, get out of my face. You know, and so it's like, there's kind of this different collective mindset. Totally. Um, and so anyway, the point being is that can be good and bad. Um, But Christianity comes along and it rattles a bit of like, you got to constantly ask the question, when I fight for something in my life, am I fighting it because it's a right? I mean, we follow a guy who gave up all of his rights Mm -hmm. in order to come and die for us. 
and sacrificed his comfort for the sake of ours. And, and yet we, we try to follow him in a way, and that's a tension. Right. Right. So, um, so all of these, you know, you asked the question about kind of the American version. I think that it's part of a, uh, partly a critique on that because it's, it's less individualized. It's, it's, it redefines happiness. Yes. Redefines joy. Like I, like if, if you think about what really works in kind of American and Canadian culture in regard to what appeals to people, it's like, look, use Jesus to get stuff. So if you believe in Jesus, you can be happier. You can be more, you can have a bigger home, you know, basically health, wealth, you know, all of that. So if we think like that though, what, what I say to my church is this, I say, I, I remember I was, I was flying to Australia last year to, to speak at a conference. And I said, okay, guys, here's the deal. I don't like flying. And I'm about to go 16 hours over water the entire time. Here's the deal. The gospel doesn't tell me that I'm not going to die tonight on that plane. The gospel tells me that I'm safe and dying. Mm-hmm. There's, there is a different version of that in, in American evangelicalism and Canadian evangelicalism where we think Jesus is about happiness in the way we define it. I believe Jesus is about happiness. That's what the Sermon on the Mount's about. That's what he came to give us joy. We're going to delight in the Lord forevermore. I think yeah. there's a bad version of Christianity that, that, that pitches Christianity as like this just slumming along sacrifice, blah, blah, blah. And it's like for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Right. Joy is a part of this story. But we just have to define sometimes it means ultimate joy. Like it doesn't mean you're not going to get that diagnosis. Right, right. It means that you're safe in getting it. Ultimately safe. Doesn't mean life's going to be easy. It just means joy in its very nature has been redefined. And so I think part of that is a bit of the critique on, on, uh, anyway, we could kind of go on and on. Obviously there's nationalism stuff. There's all these interesting, you know, things that Jesus challenges, you know, you have like, you have these different Jewish groups that existed at the time of Jesus and they all had versions. And I talk about this in one of the chapters you had like the, you know, the Sadducees, right? The Sadducees believed that power and creating a Christian, you know, let's create a, a Jewish version of, of, of the culture wars. And that's what's important. So they had political power and thought that was the way to bring in the kingdom of God. Sound familiar? You know, you have, you have Pharisees who thought the way to bring in the kingdom of God was remove ourselves from the world and just do the laws all the time, focus on the Bible and you do what the Bible says and you're going to, whatever. And you have the Sadducees and the Essenes and the Pharisees, and you have all these different people groups and Jesus comes and he upends all of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, James and John come and go, Jesus, give us, give us power. Let us sit on your right and your left. Mark chapter 10. He goes, you don't even know what you're asking because here's the thing about power. Wherever Christianity through history, I was, I was reading this the other day, wherever Christianity gets power, it dies. Mm-hmm. So it begins as this Jewish group in the middle. Almost every other religion. Um, if you look at like Islam, Hinduism, uh, Buddhism, most of these religions, the people who practice them for the most part, 
still exist in the place of their origin. Okay, if you're thinking through what are the numbers of people that practice them and you looked at a map, for the most part, Christianity is not like that. Christianity began in Israel among this small group of people, moved to Europe, and of course we get all the Christendom of Europe. Then it got on a boat and moved to North America. And in the last 200 years, once it got power here, it died and it moved to Latin America, Asia, and Africa. That's right. where Christianity True. flourishes today True. because it flourishes on the margins and dies in seats of power. That's My wheels are turning. That's why I'm just staring at him blankly. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, all that to say, you kind of asked this like American, I, I think it's, it's the same with the Canadian question. It's like, how does Christianity exist in what is present day America or present day Canada and deal with the tension of all the stuff we're, we're seeing are the reasons young adults deconstruct or deconvert. And it's like, we have to recognize Christianity can survive all of that because Christianity is not American. It's yeah. not Canadian. Right. Right. It's good. It transcends every culture. It's every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping Jesus yes. as the Lamb. You know, it's like it transcends all of that. And I'll give you, I'll give you a, a quick picture of that, and then I'll let you ask another question. Uh, so, um, I was just sharing this with with uh, someone today. Um, I was reading a story a little bit ago, um, and I think this is helpful for the deconversion question about how these cultures fuse together um about the guy who dropped the atomic bomb i forget if it was nagasaki or hiroshima in world war ii on japan mm -hmm. right and he he was a catholic guy and he said after he did that he went away and he realized that he had killed more japanese catholics in that one event than than anything else me and he asked the question is my allegiance more to my country or to my brothers and sisters in christ because the reality is you and i have more in common with christians in north korea than we do with brothers and sisters of american culture that don't know jesus how does that affect how we live our faith out those are the kinds of questions this next generation is asking Pastor Mark, those are wheel turning questions. Incredible. I think every leader listening, every volunteer listening or whatever your involvement is with your church or the people that you've come in contact with is to really sink your teeth into some of those questions and, you know, yeah. do some self-reflection of like, do I know enough history about the Bible? Do I know what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talk about? Do I know the character of Jesus? Why do I follow Jesus? And how, how does my lifestyle come across to not just my family or my friends, but literally to my neighbor, literally to the person I haven't even met yet when it comes to comfortability, flesh versus spirit? Uh, what am I willing to die for? You know, And just kind of those layered questions that can peel back the pride and cause us to truly be... Um, um, I don't want to say like spiritually naked before the Lord to realize like apart from him, we can do nothing without him. We were a nothing, but we can find our identity in him, our trust in him, our peace in him. And um, 
Yeah, I just have the next question is simply what um, what are some barriers stopping people from following Jesus? And maybe you kind of touched on some of those um, with our own comfortability and personal things. But if there's anything else you want to speak into those potential barriers that are preventing people from following Christ. Yeah, there's uh, well, similar to similar to kind of some of the stuff I just talked about Um there in uh, in economic theory, there's this thing called the gravedigger effect, and basically what it what it says is um, you can do so. So one of the, one of the critiques of the Protestant Reformation, for instance, is that it might have worked too well. So like we we did such a good job at growing a kind of capitalist economy and all the rest of it that we became people who didn't need God anymore. Right. Crazy. So it's, it's a grave digger effect. You, 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 you did such a good job at a thing you were trying to do. It had an adverse negative effect. And I think that happens for, for us in Christianity. We, we want to pitch Jesus as like the ultimate thing, but then it's like, you know, this is going to trickle down to your money, right? You know, and people don't part with their money very easy. You know, there's this is a cost trick. that comes with it. There's a cost. Yeah, there's a cost. Yep. You, you know, this is going to trickle down to your sex life. And so, right. you know, you can't just, you know, go sleep with whoever you want. Right. Like, right. you know, this is going to trickle down to the way you do family. You know, this could trickle down to the way you do work. And so there's like this. But but can't I just compartmentalize this? and just make it kind of my faith piece of my life. And then I'll go on and do everything else. So I think one of the barriers is this is going to be holistic. It's going to be over every part of my life. And I'm scared about that. So what we would rather do is stay in the comfort of what we know and not let, um, like, okay, so I give this story, I don't know if you guys read the, the problem of God it came out years ago, but it, I end the book um, with the story of my grandfather and how he was kidnapped. And, uh, and, and the image is I, I show back up in Toronto, this guy's been living in the same apartment for 50 years. And all of a sudden I call him and he's gone and no one knows where he went. So somehow I track him down. And basically the people who were landlords of the apartment at the time, did a scam where they basically befriend old people who don't have any family around and they drain their bank account in order that, that, that money will, will kind of get them a home. Crazy. And so, and so he was living in their home in just outside of Toronto, a house so big, they couldn't have ever afforded it, but they used his money to be able to get the down payment. Now he was living with them. And basically the scam is that it's not like they're killing him and burying him in the backyard, but it's like, let's bring a 95 year old in here. He'll be dead in a year. And then we'll, you know, have the house. So he's living, we show up thinking we're going to bang down the door and like drag him out. And he's totally content. And he's like, look, I get three square meals a day. I get to hang out with these awesome people. You're not around. You live in Vancouver, leave me alone. And in my mind, I'm like, wait a minute, but the truth will set you free. And so I'm telling you, these people are stealing from you. And he's like, yeah, but that doesn't matter. And what he chose. And, and so when I left, I said to my brother, some people don't want to be saved hmm. because they would, they would, they would trade the uncomfortable 
implication on their life that truth is going to create for three square meals a day and some company and a, and a warm bed. We do this every day. So true. We trade what the truth will cause me to do for comfort in the short term. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I talk about in the book is that Jesus, when Jesus comes and does what he does, he does it because it's a, it's a questioning that we tend to only live for 80 years. Jesus is answering a question about the 80 million you have to live after that. Powerful. Yeah, no kidding. And that's why he does what he does. And he's trying to get us to frame our hearts, our minds, our priorities around a way to flourish and have everlasting delight for 80 million years and 80 million after that versus let me just, you know, square some stuff now and uh, figure the rest out later. Mark, what I'm hearing you say is that one of the enemy's greatest tactics is to get rid of eternal thinking and trade it in for the temporary and just the temptation, the allure of the the short term and and just the pleasure now versus the problems eternally that that are consequences you know the discipline now versus the dividends later the consequences now um or the compromise later and all of these things and i just look at like most of us who are listening to this podcast have never had a luke 935 moment like peter james and john at the transfiguration where we heard the glorious voice from a cloud saying, this is my son in whom I have chosen, listen to him. So most of us have a healthy regard for faith and have a healthy degree of skepticism of, you know, can we, can we dig into research and find what evidence that supports that Jesus was a real historical figure? I want to talk about that. And can we trust what is written in the Bible? about Jesus. Why or why not? Because I think that this generation um, of people existing on earth today want to know that, that they can know the answer to these questions. And, you know, what would you say to those just to sum it up real quick, once again, because I threw two questions, but first um, you did some research on what evidence supports that Jesus was a real historical figure. And then if you can weave it with can we trust what is written in the Bible then about Jesus? Right. Yeah. So uh, on the streets of Vancouver, there's lots of people who don't think Jesus existed, which uh, if you read any historian worth their salt, they're like, you know, I, I was reading N.T. Wright's big 800 page book. He's a historian at Oxford and in England. An author, by the way. Yeah. And uh, he, he goes, I'm not even going to spend time on this because it's not even a question that any historian like actually takes seriously. Wow. So I was like, okay. So he relegates it to a footnote. Almost any historical book on Jesus is like, guys, like left, right, center. I don't care. It's like, this isn't even a thing. So, but I said, well, let me, let me show you why. So I spent a couple of pages just showing, uh, quoting the non-Christian writers, uh, that were opposed to Christianity. They weren't friends of it that actually talked about Jesus during that time. 
So, and I, and I do the quotes of Josephus and Tacitus and, you know, Pliny the Younger and all these yeah. people who are going, yeah, Jesus Christ existed. He died under Pontius Pilate. His, his, his friend said he rose from the dead. I, we don't believe any of this stuff, but I'm just telling you, this is what happened. He was a miracle worker. They, he went into the temple. He did some crazy stuff. Like these are historians just writing at that time. So that's outside the Bible. Then, of course, within the Bible, uh, to kind of come to your other question, uh, archaeologists, um, historians, literary scholars, everybody goes, the Bible um, has so many things about claims that vindicate it historically, whether that them going out of their way to name certain rulers, certain descriptions of coins, um, archaeological digs that get dug up. And it's like, oh, we didn't, you know, back in the day, um, there was this particular spot that's talked about in in John chapter uh, five that that historians were like, well, you know, that's not real. So throw your Bible out. You know, it's never been found. And then they just did more digging. And, you know, a hundred years ago, they found the place exactly as it's described in the gospel of John. Wow. And it's like, oops, we, we kicked our Bible out of our life. And then we just dug a little deeper and realized, oh, the Bible was right yet again. <laughs> um, and so whether that's museums or whatever it is, it's like people trust the biblical. Luke talks about like 30 locations and eight islands and 40 rulers and you know, all these things are like, guys, we're not we're not, this is a mythology here. We're not making this up. This is right. rooted in history. Uh, 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 Richard Bauckham, who's a, a really respected scholar, uh, talks about the idea of, he wrote a book years ago called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. And he's basically talking about how when you're reading the gospel of Mark and he starts dropping names, right? It's like, hey, Simon of Cyrene or Timaeus was the son of blah, blah, blah. What he's doing is Mark was written so early that these people are still alive. And what he's doing is he's not writing these names in for whatever. He's saying, go ask them. You were eyewitnesses of this. These people will tell you whether this actually happened. And so they're stamping the gospels with all these hidden eyewitness accounts and names. Almost endorsements. Yeah. And so... All the Gospels, other than John, John's probably written, you know, let's say 60 years after Jesus dies and and resurrects, but all the rest of them are, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. Those people are still alive. And every other religion waits a thousand years, waits 500 years, waits 200 years till everyone's dead. And then they go, oh, by the way, Jesus, he healed everybody in this village and no one's alive to go. Well, I don't know. Did anyone see it? The gospels are written where you can literally go to those villages and go, Hey, uh, did he come here? Like feed a bunch of people with nothing. And everyone be like, yeah. And the reason that that's important is because if they're all lying, then the gospels go out of circulation very quickly. Yep. Cause everyone's like, no, this is a joke. This never happened. I've lived in this town my whole life. No one came and drowned 2000 pigs here ever. That would have destroyed a whole economy. Move on. Right. But they write these things within 20 years. It's like, what were we doing 20 years ago? Mm-hmm. What was it? That's 9-11. Yeah. Yeah. Think about that. That's like writing. If I try to write a history right now, 
and I said, hey, uh, 9-11, uh, that never happened. Uh, that was, uh, there, were, there were no, there was no World Trade Center. That's just, you know, everybody who's alive today be like, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> we saw it. Yep. Uh, and so no one's buying or writing that book. So anyway, the gospels are just legitimized over and over and over oh my again. Gosh. Well, and to your point, even like, I think um, back a little bit into recent history, like C.S. Lewis at the time, first of all, was an atheist, came on record as an atheist, was a college professor, and his atheism, atheism was well known. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the crazy things, he was also one of the greatest literary critics of literature in, in his time period he was and before his time, for way sure. before his time. And it's just crazy how well-read he was. And for him to actually read the accounts of scripture, I feel like that's a convincing thing. It's not the gospel, but man, that's sure. And just, I, I felt like in my own faith, it's been strengthened by some of the things he wrote in, yeah. in his lifetime. And, and like you're saying, like to go to Israel, I've walked where Jesus walked and mm -hmm. it opens your mind to see the mm -hmm. same rivers, the same cities, the same geographical places on a map yeah. then still exist many of them today. Mm -hmm. And that's powerful. Yeah. yeah. I think that's just a great reminder, even for us as lifelong learners, that's something good. that we always want to be and to know. Um, Pastor Mark, I have to say that you are a phenomenal, I don't want to say storyteller, but biblical breakdown. You, like, you just do a fun, you're just passionate. Very I absolutely love too. that. And I think we work with a lot of passionate young adults that are asking these questions, come fun things that you hit on from the historical side to the geographical side to the character of Jesus. And I would just ask you this, how can we as pastors or leaders teach the young adults that God has put before us about the character and infinite being of Jesus Christ? Like how can we equip ourselves personally as leaders and how can we approach the young adults who are trying to unpack all of these skeptical questions, all of these purpose, like what's my purpose in life to did Jesus really fill in the blank? Um, what insight do you think you can shine on us today with that? Yeah, well, I think that one of the things that um, a, a, an orthodox theology of the Bible and the God, you know, we, what we want to do is, you know, people talk about how they're, you know, we're all about the word and the word and, you know, it's like 100%, but you know, Carl Bart talked about the idea. There's the word, and then there's the word behind the word. And our and our like our point is to introduce people uh, to the word behind the word. The early Christians, most of them couldn't even read. So if you know, if like reading the Bible as an end in itself was the point of Christianity, then uh, then the, they couldn't do it. Yeah, wow. you know. Um, and so the point is the the Bible's trying to get us introduced to the person behind it so good and, and explain his character and who he is and how he's moved through history and all of these things in order that we we treasure him more uh that we like like you're talking about like we we actually like like are you know i, I was just reading the um i just did a sermon on easter sunday yesterday and I was just kind of reading through the John, the John narrative. And, uh, you know, there's this sense of you have like 
them standing at the cross of Jesus. And uh, one of the centurions is in awe and says, truly, this man is the son of God. And it's like, are we in awe of Jesus anymore? Wow. Good question. Right? Like, do we not just believe he's the son of God, but are we in awe of it? Like, does it filter down to like, wow, like this is insane. You know, it's like, I'm alive. Like every morning we wake up, we just, ah, this is insane. Why am I alive? This is insane. And it becomes just so, you know, yeah. It becomes just so normal and expected and whatever. And it's like, can we be in awe of that the son of God, you know, I, I, I have a whole chapter kind of proving that Jesus claimed to be God, but this concept that like, he didn't begin to exist when he came here. Right. He, he, he always existed. Yeah. But he gave up something to come here. Wow. And, uh, and that, and, and one of the things I talk about uh, is when you start to study, like, you start to realize Jesus, like when you read Revelation 1 and he's got the white hair and the, the he's, he's Gandalf, you know, he's got the fiery eyeball, you know, um, you begin to realize something profound, which is, and this was basically a chapter uh, in the resurrection chapter in the book, but then there was a whole section I, I couldn't get to about this profound idea that oftentimes we look at Jesus as the poor peasant in the first century who walked around for three years and told and did stuff. That's who Jesus was. It's not who Jesus is now. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Who Jesus is now is this resurrected, ascended, vindicated God. Who's at the right hand of the father interceding on our behalf, coming in power, the ruling reigning King holding the seven planets in his right hand and complete sovereign control of all things sword coming out of his mouth, going to ride a horse down. And that's, that's the one that we like. That's we no, long for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, of course it's the same person, but it's like, who are we? Are we compelled in awe to like, he ain't just like our buddy. We kick around the fireplace. It's like, we're like, let's serve you King Jesus, you know? So um, that picture needs to kind of make us in awe of who he is versus just kind of, uh, you know, poking around like a cat with a yarn about, oh, ideas, the gospels, uh, God, I, you know, and, and we're like, what? You, you don't, He's not a topic to be just considered your whole life. He's like a ruling, reigning, alive person saying, come on, make a decision now. Yep. Come follow me now. Yeah, I'm knocking. I'm here. I'm I'm living. I'm breathing. This is where, and I talk about this in the discipleship chapter too, this is where Christianity is different. Christianity is not a set of esoteric ideas to be studied and lived out. That's law. That's religion. Mm-hmm. That's like, let me come down the mountain and hand you some stuff. That's not what Jesus did. He didn't go away and write a systematic theology and say, here, go believe this now, you know, take two hours, read it and then be good. That's how we tend to live it. Crazy. He is, he's like an alive 
There's a reason that the New Testament goes, you got to take him as Lord, not just Savior, right? Mm -hmm. There's like, he's alive. And I think it's in, in, in the Sipes of Chapter where I talk about all the great stories. You basically have kind of the same movement of plot. You have like the protagonist mm -hmm. hits situation that he needs help. And so he finds a mentor and then the mentor trains him. And so it's Obi-Wan Kenobi, it's Gandalf, it's whatever. <laughs> and so it's like, in Jesus, we get that ongoing mentor every day who didn't just walk down and go believe this and then leave. It's like, I'm alive and well today and I'm going to shepherd you through stuff. Right. We get that. Right. That's different than any other religion. Every other religion's like, take a bunch of ideas, interpret them properly. It's law. Mm -hmm. It's not life. Right. And to understand that we have access to him 24 seven. It's not, we have many young adults that come to us and like, Hey, will you guys pray for this family member? It's like, yeah, I'd be happy to join you in prayer, but I want sure. to join my faith with your faith. It's not my God versus yeah, you can pray too. No God. We'll pray like, with you. You'll pray with you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. So just to yeah. see that yeah, we have good. access to him 24 seven and it's a choice to walk with him and be discipled by him and to be mentored by him and to submit to him each and every single day. And, you know, even something so simple as handing over our calendar day of saying, Lord, make me uncomfortable, interrupt my day. Who do you want to bring, you know, to, for me to bless, for me to be a blessing too, yeah. for me to speak life into. And I think COVID was a very significant season to expose the, the human heart, the church's heart, the sure. human approach, the church's approach, and to really hopefully cause us as a nation and as a world to bow down and get on our knees yes. and to stand when everybody else is kneeling and to kneel when everybody else is standing to be like, I'm going to serve the one true God, no matter what comes my way and to be in the throne room and to hear the voice of God and to be in tune with the spirit and to not be afraid, but to realize like God is victorious. Like, like you said, he's seated, yeah. he's seated on his throne and he will make a way when there seems to be no way. And uh, I know Josiah has some fun things he wants to talk about next before we get into five and five, because we're running right. out of time, but you totally. go ahead. What do you think? I, I just, I've been really inspired by what you shared, Pastor Mark, because I believe in life to the fullest. I believe in Jesus, like, and take him at his word. And what you talked about, about rules and, and religion versus relationship and life, laws and life. And I think that just taking uh, a reflection. That's what answering some of the questions that you wrote on in the problem of God and also more recently in the problem of Jesus. I think that it's, it's so huge and the stakes, we have a role to play as spiritual yeah. leaders Yeah. because I mean, I love what Dr. Charles Stanley said. He said for people, the most important thing in the world is your personal relationship with Jesus. And that's a charge for us as leaders. And I know we want to honor your time. So we'll just ask rapid fire five cool. questions five minutes and I'll kick it off. Why do you believe pastor? I've Mark never answered five questions in five minutes in my life. <laughs> we'll set a timer. Just so we're clear. Okay. <laughs> set the timer. Here we go. Why do you believe that young adult ministry is important? I think, uh, what is it? One writer has said, I'm probably going to hack this, but you'll get the idea. Um, one generation assumes something, the next generation questions it. And the generation after that walks away from it. Wow. Uh, so you basically have to, not that you rethink theology every generation, because you don't, you build on the theology of what's in the past. Good. Mm -hmm. um, 
but you've got to make it live in its containers in a, depending on the context of the place you're in the time you're living in, you got to be able to think through it and frame it in a proper way. And so we're seeing right now, young adults are questioning the way the church has dealt with nationalism, dealt with race things, dealt with all of these things that are like, yeah, we should probably do a good job at thinking about those things biblically yes. uh, in the, in this generation. And that's not something to kick against. That's something to go. Yeah, that's how that's how a thing survives and thrives. It's a growing organism. That's so good. All right. Question number two. If you could describe your soul right now in three words, what would those three words be? Oh, wow. Holy smokes. I've never been asked that question in my life. My soul. Going deep. Okay. I'd go passionate. Curious. And um, imperfect. Ooh, that's great. Amen. Great answers. Amen. Thanks for going there of sharing your soul and your time with us today. Here's a lighter question. This is, yeah, opposite. And um, if favorite place to travel in Canada soon, we're going to come visit. And uh, when the borders, Good. Open, we just want to know where's your favorite place to visit in Canada. Right, well, if you guys visit, you, you come to my house. So get in touch with me. All right. Uh, all right. So honestly, I live in the best place in Canada. I live in Vancouver, Vancouver, Canada, British Columbia is the best. It's got the ocean, the mountains. It's wow. the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful cities in the world. It's a glass city on water with snow tip mountains behind it. Google, just Google Vancouver, BC when you're, we're done this call and you'd be like, Oh wow. Okay. There's a reason why he hasn't left. Right. <laughs> uh, yes. The country slants this way and it rarely goes back the other way. So oh I'm in and it's a place to be. I mean, Vancouver is a place to be, you know, uh, on the other end you have, uh, yeah, Montreal, Toronto. Those are, those are cool. Um, and then Halifax way over, uh, on the other side, PEI, I'd go probably PEI in Vancouver would be the, cause those are the coasts. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. All right. Question number four, if you could ask Josiah and myself one question today, what would that be? Anything. It does not have to be ministry related. <laughs> um, does anyone ever tell you, you look like Sarah Palin? No, I've never gotten that. <laughs> like, a, like a, not actually Sarah Palin, but like a daughter or granddaughter of Sarah Palin. That's I've never, I liked her. I mean, she was always fun to watch when she was running. <laughs> yeah. That's my question. That's too fun. Okay. We've got a final question. Okay. Josiah five. Pastor Mark, if you could tell a group of college pastors and young adult ministry leaders, one thing today, what would you leave them with today? Um, you gotta, you gotta centralize and prioritize Jesus slash the gospel. And what I mean by that is getting people to believe in generic spirituality or God in general just isn't enough. Half, half the songs that we sing in church could be sung in a Buddhist temple. Think about that for a second. Wow. Food for thought. Hello. <laughs> God loves me. I love God. Walk with me be my friend, whatever. It's like, 
we actually in Christianity have to be more specific than that. Yeah. Um, there's like a Christological thing that happened. God became a human and died on a cross and, mm -hmm. and atoned for sin and took on the wrath of God on himself and rose from death to, to pay for like that kind of should maybe be part of what we sing about, <laughs> um, you know, like those pictures in revelation, what are we singing about with the lamb who was slain and we're all just talking generic life and God in general. And it's like, we gotta make this thing explicitly Christian yes, versus vaguely spiritual wow, and vaguely theological. And so I would say why I say that is because the gospel actually works like Romans one, it's the power of God unto salvation, but it's the, it's, it's, a, it's the gospel. It's actually about Jesus, mm -hmm. who he was, what he did, not God in general. That's not the goal. That's doesn't go far enough. So if we're not preaching and, and believing in, in the perfect God, Jesus who lived his perfect life in our place, died on the cross for mm -hmm. sin, rose again. You know, every sermon in the book of Acts talks about the resurrection. Right. Like, do we recognize this fusion of cross and resurrection needs to be our life and it actually works? Um, anyway, point being, um, we tend to prioritize a lot of stuff, right? Our identity, prayer of Jabez, spiritual gifts, let's talk more about whatever. And we do all this stuff, but it's, it's not gospel stuff, you know? Okay. And, and, I, yeah. and I think we can prioritize those things, put them to the center when really they shouldn't actually be in the center. They need to be second, third area things. Oh my gosh. What you said, so Pastor good. Mark stands out to me of, and I pray it does for the listener as well, explicitly Christian, not vaguely spiritual. And it reminds me of an article I read um, in back in October of 2020 from Pastor John Piper. It was a Desiring God article. And I'll just leave the listener with this, that he asked the question, suppose America collapses or our world like starts to become a world where your faith actually costs you something. Prison, exile, martyrdom. To, as a pastor, as a leader, to ask ourselves this, this is John Piper's question. Has my preaching and discipleship been developing real radical Christians who will remain if it costs us something, when it costs us something? And I think that's what you're getting at. And so, Pastor Mark, we just want to say thank you for your time, for energizing yes. our faith. No doubt. We're so excited to spend this time with you. Well, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Yes. Many and you can blessings. find out more about Pastor Mark Clark and the problem of Jesus when you connect with us on our website at www.youngadults.today, as well across all of our social media platforms at youngadults.today. Until this uh, next time, this is Josiah and Micah signing off with youngadults.today. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to today's conversation on the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Plug me in. I'm getting charged up right now, yeah.